once I really identified the piece of the story that I was going to run with, which was people. Creators are my North Star. Once I really, really looked at the landscape of, is it the business being profitable? Is it growing this? Is it having this many partnerships? Is it getting creators paid? And that piece stuck out. Creators getting what they need. Creators having support. Creators having community. Creators getting partnerships. Once I realized that it was about the person, I realized, well, if it's not me that's running this business, it'd be someone that doesn't care as much about the African creator, potentially. And that was like not going to happen. Africa X. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series, and you are listening to our special series, Africa X, which is focused on conversations and experiences with experts from Africa, in Africa, about Africa, and I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Today, we have a very powerful and influential guest. She is the CEO of Afropods, which is a free pan-African podcast hosting platform building the largest library of African audio stories on the planet based out of Nairobi, Kenya. As a Ghanaian-American born in New York, shout out to New York, she is extremely excited to help digitize African stories and wants to see African creators take up as much space as possible while creating avenues to help them get paid for their work. She has over 10 years of experience across management, sales, marketing, and technology. She has spoken at Podcast Movement, Africa Podcast Day, Africa Media Festival, and Advertising Week, as well as most recently featured in Forbes, The Guardian, Reuters, Jam Lab Africa, Podcast Sessions, and Apple Podcasts. And additionally, she served as an EQ ambassador for six seconds, a global nonprofit focused on the awareness of emotional intelligence and she also enjoys traveling aka soft life so create your life family i am talking about none other than miss molly a jensen Molly, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. What's up, people? Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm so excited to participate with everybody here with Create Your Life. This is going to be a great conversation. Most definitely. Most definitely. Molly, I'm going to jump right in. I want to know about your origin story. Like, how does a New Yorker end up in Nairobi? Tell me. Isn't that the million dollar question? I mean, how does anyone end up anywhere? You feel like you go to college and you study one thing and you end up somewhere completely different. But I think for me, I've always been a proponent of really living my life, right? So I look back at some of the things I do and I take a lot of risks. And my mother, she is born in Ghana, born and raised, shout out, West Africa. And it was a really great time to explore the continent. East Africa has one of the most vibrant technology communities on the continent. I knew a couple of people here and I felt like there was an important opportunity and time to make impact. So I came here, I moved January 3rd, 2020, and then the world fell apart in March. So I've been here full-time for a couple of years. This will be my third year full-time, but I've been visiting for about a year, year and a half before. Awesome. So what is Afropods? What mission are y'all on and how are you helping African creators on the ground? Sure. I'm glad you asked that, Kevin. Afropods, like you mentioned, is building the largest library of African audio stories on the planet. And our mission is to basically not only amplify African creators, but help them get paid and continue to amplify their needs in order to build solutions 
questions that make the most sense for them. So when we started building this platform, when we started talking to creators, when we started really uncovering and dealing with other pioneers in the audio industry on the continent, it allowed us an opportunity to really come from contribution collectively. So I would say we're all still learning. We're doing what's best for the African creator. But what Afropods is doing is building that technical infrastructure. So that literal home of podcasting where you can come, where you can get your statistics, where you can get your analytics, where you can place advertisements and monetize your podcast. But we are the technical home for podcasting in Africa. Mm, Love it. And I know something that you're really passionate about is African creators being paid. What is Afropods doing in order to ensure that African creators taking up as much space as possible, but also getting paid for their genius? Sure. And I think we have to give Rennie credit in Nigeria for that because I actually went to the Storytellers Conference virtually and she said that and it stuck out and I have been running with it since. And, you know, I did reach out to her. I tell her I credit her, but I don't think there's a more concise way to say what you're doing and why and have it resonate. African people deserve to capture their value. And I just actually saw a TED Talk. It was really cool. And it said the most important person in Africa is the storyteller, which is really powerful, right? You're talking about a continent which is rich with oriented history. People have been telling stories since the beginning of time. It's fundamental to the DNA of people here. And it's the fastest digital growing continent in the world. And now you have this opportunity to digitize audio where radio has been so impactful, so powerful, so informative. And podcasting is just entering the beginning stages in terms of the impact it'll potentially have on the continent. I do think it's going to be the largest podcasting market in the world due to the sheer numbers and like the excitement around audio. But with Afropods, we're able to speak to these creators. We're able to create a technical solution for them. We're able to advocate for them. And I think when I look at my role, I say this a lot, but it's not just a privilege to be in a position as an executive. There's a real responsibility to do right by people on the ground. My job isn't just enforcing my opinion. My job is listening to what creators want and then advocating for it and making sure that it happens alongside our incredible team. So that's what we do. And that's why I think it's important. Thank you. Thank you. So Molly, how long have you been at Afropods? And since you've been in leadership, what are some of the big accomplishments that you've all been able to accomplish there on the platform? As of April, I've officially been full-time at Afropods for two years. Prior to that, I was consulting a little bit in the audio space, assessing the opportunity with Afropods specifically. I think if you look at the past two years, what you'll see, not just with Afropods, but across the entire podcasting landscape on the continent is significant growth. There's more podcasters, there's more podcast listeners, there's more people interested in advertising on podcasts, there are more people getting advertisements on podcasts, there are people having live shows, there are people having merch. People are becoming aware of what's going on with podcasting. And I even test when I'm in Ubers. I ask my Uber driver, hey, do you know what a podcast is? And now, two years later, I'm getting people who actually do. So I think things are growing. And with Afropods, we've been really, really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And I think everyone who's in this space currently and joining now and have been previously, I consider them pioneers in the audio space. I am inspired by the people on the continent. I love seeing how many women are in executive positions across the continent. I love seeing how vocal people are about protecting the African creator. I love hearing about the orange economy and what this means for people who want to tell stories in Africa and get paid for it. I think that we're in a really, really exciting time and Afropods is just here with everybody else. I love that what you just said. And you talked about other women executives through observation and other people working in the industry's words. You are someone who encourages others, especially women, to maximize their 
your potential? How do you make sure you stay rejuvenated and that you're not pouring from an empty cup? Well, first of all, each one teach one, right? Like I said, no one knows anything. We're learning together. We all have skill sets that we bring to the table. I am constantly learning from everyone in the space. I am constantly advocating for everyone to move together. Like this is not a solo thing, although I am extremely humbled by the fact that people are also inspired by me. Thank you for telling me that because I don't always hear that. And, you know, when you got your head down doing the work, it's hard to understand what your perception is. And it's incredible to hear that I have a potential legacy of empowering women, right? Being a strong woman in business on the continent, being a strong executive in the business of audio on the continent. What an incredible industry. Wow. So thank you for that. I think that when it comes to keeping myself focused and keeping myself moving, my background as an athlete really helps. And I played soccer. I was a goalkeeper. Manchester United is the best team in the EPL. I don't care what's going on right now. Very fast for those who wanted to hear. And I think that we have to remember to take time and space for ourselves. So my team, and Kevin, since you shouted yourself out on our team, you know that if you die on Tuesday at seven o'clock, I will not find out till eight o'clock because my therapy will not be canceled. You know that like when I have Pilates, I won't cancel it. I take the time to treat myself, whether it's like from a body perspective, from doing cupping, doing acupuncture, doing massage, from a mental perspective, from like a neuroscience brain meditation. A lot of that for me is through Pilates from a spiritual perspective and also remembering that community is so important. And it's not just the community that shows up when you need it. It's the community that you've deeply rooted yourself in. And it doesn't matter where they are around the world, right? Something I heard was the community shows up as you need it. That's helped me through situations that have happened in my life. But at the same time, having those old contacts and friends in your corner help you to stay grounded and help you to push forward and help you to fix that crown when sometimes it gets tilted. You know what I mean? Love that. So MJ, Create Your Life fam, y'all gonna hear me call her different things throughout the interview. I might even call her her middle name. Because there are a lot of women, even some of our interns, you know, who look up to you and they have aspirations to essentially follow in your footsteps. What are three tips you would give to other young ladies right now who want to become tech and media executives or become CEO one day? So I think the first thing, and it's something I've constantly tell myself, so let me take my own advice, is that sometimes you just have to get in there and learn as you go. We are all building as we drive the car, especially when it comes to younger industries in different markets. If someone was looking to get into podcasting, sure, it's established in the West in a specific way. But I think that podcasting in Africa could and most likely will look different, which means that no one is an expert. We are all learning. We're all growing together. So I would say get in the game or get in the arena or get in the office or get into wherever you need to get into to get some experience. The second bit would be done is better than perfect. And someone said that to me and it stuck out and it still sticks out because I think a lot of times you want everything to go right and you'll miss your opportunity to catch the wave by waiting for perfection. And a lot of times it's not you that's causing the delay. It's your team. It's another person. It's getting reviews back. And I think trusting yourself, which maybe is probably my third tip, like you will never look back and be upset if you trusted yourself. You will look back and be upset if you trusted someone else and things went wrong. But if you trust yourself and you make a mistake, that's just a learning experience. I'm definitely working on my ability to be comfortable with failing. No one's concerned about the success. People are concerned about what will happen when you fail. And that's part of startups that's most likely to lead to success, right? Fail fast, succeed faster. 
We're all learning together. We all have to trust ourselves and make sure that version one is not going to be as good as version 10. So just done is better than perfect. Do what you need to do. Get it out there and we move. And we move. I love that. Thank you, MJ, for those tips. So, Molly, what are some examples of advantages of working with Afropods versus working with other podcasting platforms? Sure. So when it comes to Afropods, you have that human touch, right? We're also a team of people, primarily, majority-wise, born and raised on the continent. We have a footprint, a significant footprint in Kenya. We have a footprint in Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Nigeria, Ghana, South Sudan, and most recently Sierra Leone. We are a group of people who care about the creator, specifically in the lens of the podcaster. We are looking to solve problems for them. So for instance, if you reach out on social media, you most likely will engage with Kathoni, who's our community manager. If you have a tech problem and have been looped into our tech team, we can help you directly person to person. You can always contact myself. You can always contact Kevin. And I think that what makes us different in that regard is that we're people and we're building something that makes sense for the creator here on the continent. Additionally, compared to other hosting platforms, when you log in to Afropods, a lot of it is about that design experience and what you see. So the first thing you see when you log into Afropods on your account from a statistics perspective is a map of Africa. And that was something that our team was really, really focused on highlighting, showing that, you know, it's not just you have 3% listeners on the continent of Africa. You might have 2% listeners in Burundi, 1% in Kenya, 2% in Angola, whatever it may be. And that allows you to have a more intense deep dive on your statistics to understand where people are coming from. Afropod's content can be categorized in up to 50 languages, meaning that the vernacular opportunity or the mother tongue memorialization is done on Afropods, right? So if you want content in Amharic or you want content in Zulu or you want content in Twi, we have the opportunity to categorize there. And I think that's really, really cool and different. That's something that's unique to the continent. We are a continent of 54 countries, 1,500 plus languages, 1.3 billion people. And there's such a vast richness and diversity to the stories told here. And I think Afropods is doing its part to continue to make searchability and discoverability just a little bit easier, especially for those who are looking to engage and connect with African content. Love that. Thank you, Molly, for that answer. I want to piggyback a little bit too, because what it sounds like you're saying is, is we are Africa focused. You could say it more concise than I, clearly. <laughs> we are definitely Africa focused. We get real input. Afropods is a platform gets real input from the African creator on the ground in order to create and lead its technical direction. So everything that we do involves the African creator. For you, as a leader of a company in a foreign place, foreign market, how do you go about establishing culture and managing relationships with team members who are consistently working together to make sure that they flow seamlessly? The true answer to that is that I had to get real life experience. I definitely struggled in the beginning. And I think a lot of that is due to different cultural business nuances and norms, right? You don't know what you don't know. And when I first stepped into leadership and was engaging with people who had grown up differently, went to different schools than I did, had different thought processes and came up with solutions to problems differently than I did. I think what I tried to do initially was just listen and learn. That allowed me the opportunity to then tap into some of this EQ work I did, which made me realize we're all working towards the same thing. We still all have a common goal. There's a hundred ways to get to the same answer. People deserve to have space to express themselves. And as the people specifically on our team got comfortable doing that, I got to learn how to engage with them in a way to get 
get the best results. It's been a lot of trial and error. I think I'm much better now. I will say for those who are listening, a tip that I learned or something I've learned through my experience is that no one wants to do business on the first meeting in Africa. They want to feel you out. They want to know who you are, where you're from, what street you grew up in. Are you a good person? Are you funny style? And I think that that's very different than doing business in New York. People care about relationships, which then goes back to this innate understanding of community. So people matter. And once I really understood that the connecting piece of all this was people, I was able to lean in on experience and continue to research the best ways to get maximum value out of people. So hopefully that kind of answers your question and not too roundabout of a way. It does. But there's a comment that you always say, work is work. Can you expound upon that? Because you have this whole philosophy that even I, you know, working with you have adopted. It makes so much sense. Sure. I'm glad you brought that up too. I'm not sure how many people would agree with me, but it's so logical. You know, it should make sense. So what I said when I first started in this position was work is work. And when we have a problem or if someone feels disrespected, we have to stop. And the thing is, we can argue till we're blue in the face about if this table is black or if it's navy blue. But for those who are not watching but are listening, I wear glasses. So if someone says, are you blind? This table is black. That's disrespectful. And I think as you touch an emotion, what happens is that you make people feel less than, you make people feel insecure, you make people feel not confident to speak. So from a work perspective, we can do as much work as we can. There's going to be more work tomorrow. Prize, there's going to be more work the day after that and after that. But if you feel unsafe, if you feel disrespected, if you feel like you can't voice your opinion, we have to stop and handle that. Something I also saw and experienced in Kenya specifically was it's a much more passive, non-confrontational society when it comes to like a hierarchical position in the workforce. So for instance, titles really matter here. People will treat you differently depending on your executive title. And I wanted to create this more flat dynamic with our team, which I felt was more aligned in what globally a lot of the successful tech companies were doing. So I wanted to make sure that our team had the ability to reach out and talk and address their concerns and feel safe to do so. And one of my early proud moments was when someone on our team came up to me and said, I don't feel comfortable. I don't like when this happens. And I was like, okay, great. Let's stop the work for a minute. Let's talk. Let's figure out how to make you feel comfortable. I thought that that really meant to me that I was able to crack the nut here in Kenya, right? Like something that is said, but I guess maybe it's not as publicly said is like a lot of people don't love their jobs. And that's globally. A lot of people don't love where they work. A lot of people do it for the money. With a startup, it's more than money. It's a labor of love, you know, like you have to be in it. This is a group of people that you're talking to all the time. You're thinking about the business when you're not at work. Shoot, I even dream sometimes. I can't even escape the job in my dreams. And I feel like to have a space that you feel psychologically safe is also a fundamental core component of community. So I look at it in a way that when you have work, we're just dealing with the work. If there's anything emotional attached, you should be able to feel safe to talk about it. You should be able to feel comfortable talking about it and you should know that someone will hear you out. So that's what I mean when I say work is work. Okay, love it. Because work is work and because sometimes people can have different perspectives or points of view, can you give us three of your tips that you use for problem solving when you see things from different perspectives than with your teammates, than your team members? So I'm still working on all of them, right? Because everyone who has an opinion, every single person who has an opinion thinks their opinion is right. That's the thing about an opinion, right? So for me, I am working on being better at listening, hearing people all the way through, not just having my thought and waiting to speak my thought, but actually hearing what 
someone else says. Another thing, when we have a variance of opinion or we have a disagreement, I try to take a little bit of space. There was an exercise I learned in six seconds, and it was like when you have conflict, stop, breathe, reflect, come back and revisit the situation. And that's also something that the Gottman Institute talks about for romantic relationships. Like that moment of taking a pause is really, really important, especially I think when you're in a leadership position, you have a lot of power. And I'm not really one to focus on power tripping. I think we are building together. So those are two things. What would be the third thing that I would do? Well, I do remove myself from the situation. I do take a pause. And maybe, you know, I also share my opinion. I think that you can hear someone who says something and and disagree with them. And there's nothing wrong with disagreeing at work. There's really nothing wrong. It's how you express it. So if we have a problem to solve and two of us want to go about it in a different way, like I said earlier, there's a hundred ways to get to the right solution. No one way is the right way. So sometimes it's not just hearing someone out. It's also sharing what you think, because maybe there's an opportunity to collaborate on an idea. Maybe their idea is better than yours. Maybe they think yours is better than theirs. So those would be my three tips. One other thing that I get to see you do is compromise, which I think you were kind of alluding to at the end of that point. But I think that sometimes, you know, when you get collaborative, there's compromise of, okay, let's do a little bit of this. Let's do a little bit of that. I think you do a really good job of that. Thank you. And opening up the space to have the space. Like in our weekly insights meetings, we can get a lot of opinions and it can get spirited. And it's kind of like we're all in a ring together. But like you said, you know, work is work. And so we keep it essentially competitive and opinionated within that realm. But nobody's taking it serious. I want to commend you because you've done a great job of making that a place where we could have that type of discourse and everybody walk away like, okay, next thing, (laughs) you know, let's get back to what else we have going on. So thank you. Well done, Molly J. So for you, as you've been a tech founder now, what role has mentorship played for you in your role thus far? I actually need more mentorship. More is more in this situation. I need as many pieces of support as possible. I don't know everything. And it's not just about support in the audio industry or the podcasting industry. There's also support as being a young female executive. There is support in being an early stage startup executive. Well, how do you grow? How do you scale? How do you make this business plan make sense? How do you deal with investors? How do you manage a team? How do you keep yourself sane? You're now responsible for X amount of people's salaries. That's their livelihood. There's so much that I need support on. But in terms of mentorship, I don't think I've really found the strongest business mentors yet. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of contacts. However, what I've been exploring and talking to a couple people about is actually business coaching. And I think that that really would land with me well because of my athletic background. I'm very coachable. If I have a game plan, we can execute it. Even if it's my own game plan, I can move through it. And that allows me to get through very chaotic and destabilizing periods of my life, whether it's work or personal or whatever it may be, in a way that I feel comfortable and confident. For those listening, I'm still looking for mentors. But for now, I am also actively engaging with different business coaches to see how they can support me and how I can grow and putting myself in positions to meet people who are way better at their jobs than I currently am, who are seasoned, who have experience, who've made the mistakes already. But the funny thing about making a mistake is someone can tell you that you're about to make a mistake and it won't stop you from making the mistake. Sometimes you have to make the mistake yourself. Know how bad it is so you don't do it again. So I think that talking to people who have made mistakes, who can guide me through the mistakes I'll make in a comfortable way would be very supportive. Love that. You're talking about supportive. One of the things that you do very well is recruit people and create your life family. I'm going to shout out Molly. Molly actually recruited me in New York. We might 
might end up covering that origin story of how we met at some point during this pod. But Molly, you have an eye for talent. And I'm not saying that as a shameless plug because I've seen you do it repeatedly and hire people who work out and definitely go along with the culture that you and I have created at AfriPods. What are some of your strategies for doing so when you're looking and eyeing for talent? Because we have a process, you know? Yeah, I mean, I really trust myself. I really trust my gut. People is something that I know. I can get through that proverbial fat of a person and identify values or align on core fundamental pieces and qualities that I think are valuable or needed or appropriate or just balancing, right? When I meet people, it just comes to me sometimes, right? Like it depends. There's two ways. Sometimes you're looking for someone and other times the talent just shows up. So for instance, we were looking for some talent for specific roles with Afropods and LinkedIn and I are best friends. I know how to work LinkedIn like nobody's business. And I'm able to identify exactly who we need, take those initial calls. And then it's about the person a lot of times for me. And I think that you don't get a feel for who a person is off of a resume or not always. You don't get a feel for someone from their portfolio. What we're building is not just a group of people who are good at their jobs. We're building a core founding team of a startup that is going to be incredibly impactful on the continent. We care about people. We want those people to mesh with other people. We want people to be able to contribute in a way, whether it's they bring this special thing to the table and someone else brings something else special to the table, right? So I think that from a talent perspective, when I meet people, I'm always looking. If the talent's in front of you, you got to take what's in front of you sometimes. And then the other time, if you're actively searching, you got to look through the resources that are available. And my favorite right now is LinkedIn. Love it. Love that answer. Because we have like this process. Bali goes, she finds them, then she's like, all right, Kev, you have a conversation with them. Then after I have a conversation, then we have a conversation about the person together collectively what we thought. And then Molly's like, all right, so what should we do? And then we discuss and then she pulls the trigger. But you are at a very high percentage of making this happen and getting it done in terms of recruiting great talent. So kudos to you on that. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. My next question for you is, what are some of the things that you wish you knew before becoming CEO of AfriPods? There's so many things I wish I knew. But I think part of the magic of this experience is like the not knowing and growing together. So like, for instance, the first thing that came to mind was, I wish I had more public speaking experience. I did do Toastmasters. I did take a public speaking course in college a long time ago. But I wish that I was more comfortable speaking in front of really large audiences because now I've been getting some practice runs. And I actually would say, oh, I wish I had media training. And someone was like, you know, Molly, I'm glad you don't because you really are expressive and it comes across. So it makes me kind of reevaluate what do I wish I had before? You know, I think every step is a step in the new, elevated, better version of you. So I think when I did step in here, like I mentioned, no one had the game plan for podcasting in Africa. Everyone was learning. And that means that like we all had a way that we thought that it would be successful 
successful, but no one knew the right way. And so we were able to leverage the innate skills that we have. I had dinner with a friend and we were talking about transferable skills. And she was like, you know what your transferable skill is, Molly? And I said, why don't you tell me what you think one of my transferable skills is? She goes, you can do anything and be good at it. And that's so rewarding. That's so comforting. So I think the things I wish I knew, it's not even worth harping on. Like it's the things that I want to learn that are more exciting now. I want to be better at being a boss. I want to be better at moving the bottom line. I want to be better at recruiting talent, even though I am shooting pretty high right now. I want to be better at so many things. I want so much, but I don't think I look back at what I could have known because I would be different now. I love that. And, you know, Kanye West said, everything I'm not makes me everything I am. Did he? He did. Okay. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what, you are enough and what you know and who you were at the time of taking a role was enough in order to bring you to here. But one of the things that I actually really admire about you is you don't know what you don't know and you're okay with that and you always are open to learning. And I think that a person like that is always someone who can never be beaten. Thank you. No, for real. I ain't gonna lie. We work together hand in hand and have been for the last two years, but it's a pleasure because, you know, sometimes you'll be like, yo, Kev, you don't know that. Or you'll be like, hey, you know what? These things are happening and we can both be like, I don't know about different things and we'll just go to go figure it out. But you do a really good job of that. And that's one of the things that's made it a pleasure to work with you. So thank you. It's a Batman and Robin situation kind of, right? Like, I feel like we like Batman and Batwoman. Hey, Batwoman <laughs> in the house over here. Create your life. We got Batwoman in the building. Hey. No, I think that it's about, you know, my mom is the one who actually really ingrained that in me. So part of my previous, like, Shout out to Ms. Dorothy. Right. My previous professional experience was working in a family business in real estate and a client would call. I would try to answer the question. My mom would be like, I don't know is a complete answer and it's not a bad sentence. And I never felt comfortable being like, I don't know. Someone then said, well, not knowing is not the worst thing in the world. Not knowing is the first step to knowing something. The same way sucking at something is the first step to being good at something. I appreciate you saying that because it took a long time to get there. And just because you don't know doesn't mean that someone else doesn't know. And as soon as you find out something you don't know, it's an opportunity to learn. So yeah, we have a lot to learn. We're all discovering it together. I want to switch it up a little bit and I want to get a little more personal. As we know, being in leadership positions, shoot, just existing as a human, everything is not sunshine and flowers, right? And so for you, how did you deal with the negative feedback, if any, as you were rising and as you are rising? What did you think when you first saw it, heard it? You know, was it public, private? How did you deal with it? Were you prepared for it? And how do you push through it? So I actually had a built-in strategy. I did not announce my position or my appointment until five months into the position. And I also had had been consulting for a while. Our first week, because we started at the same time at Afropods, we got a call from Apple Podcasts to be featured in Africa Month. And that was like a win out the gate. And I remember wanting to share what was going on, but I also wanted to make sure that we were actually moving in the right direction and we're going to create a business that had impact. So I waited for some time before making an announcement. And I think that allowed me to feel like I was controlling the narrative of what was going out. Now, in terms of people who disagree with you, people who don't like you, people who just don't think you're doing the right thing, haters, if you want to call them haters, but we don't do that in our mid-30s anymore. I think She's that, not in her mid-30s. Just want to point it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's younger. I am a little younger, but you know, I think that when you are approached with someone who disagrees with you, that's it. They just disagree. And you can let that really affect you. And I am very guilty of letting it affect me more than I should. But okay, you don't like me. There's 8 billion people. Someone else will. That's why I was so reinforcing to hear what you said earlier about Bidemi and Gathoni and 
maybe other people who haven't said anything to you, but have said it to each other. Like feeling impact is so special. And I think that knowing just I impacted those two people from this conversation, then I could have 20,000 people who dislike me. One person matters. People matter. You don't know how you're affecting someone's life. Like for me in this job, we're a business. We have people on our team. It's not likely that people stay on your team till the business dies, right? Like for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, things happen. So I look at people and it's like, we have a potential opportunity to grow people professionally. We have a chance to impact their life. They have a chance to remember who we are. And I think that when you have a chance that your intent and your impact match, that's important. So for the people who don't like me, they don't have to. I've changed two lives according to this podcast. And I'm sure there are others that I will continue to impact in the future as I get better and as I get stronger and as I become more vocal. So don't mind those. Don't mind them. They're not doing what you're doing. They don't have the sauce you have. They can't do it your way. Your way is your way. And we move. We just get through it. We keep pushing and we keep rising. What's meant for you is always going to be for you. And you've got to trust your process. Stay the course. Stay the course. That's what I got to say. That was bars. (laughs) But also we do know the difference between the juice and the sauce. Yeah, I think actually you're the one who made it very clear that our team would know the difference. So why don't you let your Create Your Life series know what is the difference between juice and sauce as we change podcast hosts? All right. So Create Your Life Found. There is a video on YouTube of a guy, I think he's working at Best Buy, and he describes the difference between the juice and the sauce. And also the notorious and glorious Gucci Mane has also done a video explaining about the sauce. But the difference between the sauce and the juice is you can drink juice fast. But as my man from the Best Buy video said, you know, how long does uh, barbecue sauce stay in your refrigerator or ketchup? The sauce is forever. The juice is short lived. So like Molly said, we got the sauce around here. Love that. So MJ. Was there ever any point that you were going to give up? Why and how did you push past that point? To be honest, no. I felt like it was such a green industry and space. I didn't feel like I couldn't have accomplishments. I didn't feel like I couldn't bring a group of people with me to also have their own accomplishments. I actually felt really excited. The way I talk to our team, I really believe what I'm saying. I tell our salesperson, you are going to be the strongest salesperson and ad person on the continent for podcasting. No one will be able to do what you do. You are going to be the strongest community manager. You will be behind the business of community. There's going to be no one that has more insights and more data on the business of podcasting in Africa. You are going to be the number one resource. You are going to take these calls. You are going to stand on those panels. And I think that why not me? I care about the African creator. I care about the continent. I care about the podcast. I think that in the beginning, a lot of the reason why I was continuing to drive so hard is because once I really identified the piece of the story that I was going to run with, which was people. Creators are my North Star. Once I really, really looked at the landscape of, is it the business being profitable? Is it growing this? Is it having this many partnerships? Is it getting creators paid? And that piece stuck out. Creators getting what they need. Creators having support. Creators having community. Creators getting partnerships. Once I realized that it was about the person, I realized, well, if it's not me that's running this business, it'd be someone that doesn't care as much about the African creator, potentially. And that was like not going to happen. That was not going to happen. I felt like I had such an incredible opportunity to bridge the gap, I guess you could say, between the continent and what's happening in the States. A lot of my experience, most of my experience has been in the U.S. A lot of my contacts are in the U.S. I have incredibly significant contacts in the diaspora that move the needle here on the continent, too. I have access. That's part of the cross I get to bear, right? Like if you look at all of your skills, you do your own SWOT analysis, right? That's one of my biggest 
strengths. So if I care about the creators and I have access, what that means is the more that I advocate for creators, I can get more visibility in a different place, in a different market. And I care about that. That drives me. And at no point did I feel like I can't do that. So I hope that gives you some context into the inside of my brain. And that also means Create Your Life Family that what she basically was saying, she said all of that to say quitting is not an option. It's not. <laughs> it's not. We can't. We can't. Like, it's too important. We are really, 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 when you distill it, talking about storytelling in Africa and the opportunity to memorialize language, the opportunity to reposition and evolve regular radio talk shows as it been to a more on-demand version. I don't think radio is going anywhere personally, but I do think that podcasts provide another opportunity for people to engage with like highly specialized niche content. Why would we let anything, anyone who doesn't care about that into this space? I think that it's a win across the board, whether big multinationals come into place, whether local businesses are built up. What we know is that Afropods is advocating for the creator, which means that everyone is going to have to advocate for the creator. You're not going to be able to be successful if you don't advocate for the creator. Love that. Okay, so MJ, what has been the biggest personal challenge that you've needed to overcome in order to become who you are today? You hear that question and like that one thing comes to mind and it's like you don't really want to talk about it. We are for the truth, these tangible steps for the Create Your Life fam to be able to become and repeat. Sure. Duplicate your level of success. When I was talking to a friend earlier this week and I feel like my life is in a blender. Life doesn't get easier as you get older and you're forced to acknowledge your mortality towards your end of your 20s or your early 30s. And you kind of realize like, whoa, I'm not superhuman. These bones won't just fix if they get broken. I was kind of forced to do that in a pretty significant way. And it forced me to get very comfortable with uncertainty, which I hate having to do. It forced me to live in the gray area of not being able to control, which I hate because it's unnatural. And it forced me to lean into the now. I was just kind of forced to look at my life kind of as an outsider in. And a lot of that happened due to like health reasons. So that was by far the biggest challenge I could think of. I don't usually bring it up, but I think everyone can kind of relate to if it's not you that's experienced a health issue, it's someone very close to you. If it's you that hasn't like experienced the loss of a loved one, it's someone very close to you by this point. If you're in your late 20s and early 30s, and that can be like really catastrophic in your life and kind of priority shifting. That has definitely helped me get comfortable with the discomfort of most things in life. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. As we have these challenges that we needed to overcome, there's always that person in the back who is our champion, you know what I mean? And who's pushing us forward. So who's been your biggest champion on becoming who you are today? And if it's more than one, then oh, list them all. Let me do the Whitney Houston. <laughs> my mom, Sarah, my dad, my sisters. I mean, for those who are not looking on video, there's a very famous Whitney Houston clip where she's at this award show and she's shouting everyone out. But it's everyone. It's the people who pray for me who I don't know who pray for me. It's everyone. There are certainly people that I reach out to who are there for me in the moments of support. Like, for instance, my best friend, Sarah, she is a very practical person. She's logical and she's honest. And I need that a lot of times. But then other times I need more inspirational conversation and belief building. And my girl Shatira is great for that. Like my mom is a steamroller. She gets through things. My dad, he's like sciencey and knowledgeable. And my siblings, they're solid. I have a really strong support base. I am one of those people that I believe I want my life to be measured in moments of celebration. I throw a party for everything, everything. What I'm so grateful for is like my community shows up. When I ask for help, they show up. I have incredible friends who are men who are honest with me, who take my calls, who listen to me, who course correct me, who 
give me their perspectives, which a lot of times I don't agree with. And I appreciate that. I have people who are older than me. Like when I lived in Maui, my friends were like in their 50s. I had two really good women friends who were in their 50s. One actually came to Kenya to visit and I got a totally different perspective from them. I have friends who live in different continents and different countries. And I feel like sometimes the support you have in one situation is not the support you're going to have in another situation. And I think that it depends on what you need. But you also have to know that either have to know that you need something or know what you need. You may not know what it is that you need, but if you know that you need something, you can ask for it. And I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to be exposed. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I think there's a lot of power in vulnerability. I am grateful that the champions that surround me, the ones that I'm thinking of are not even skimming the surface of the ones that have been there, the ones who are rooting for me, the ones who want me to be successful, the ones who comment on my Instagrams, the one who are praying for me without knowing what's going on. I had one of my good guy friend's mother put me in a prayer call in Atlanta. You know, they have this like 888 number they dial in and it must be 400 aunties on this call. And she prayed for me with all these women on the call. And that's 400 people I don't even know. And I think that that's so powerful, right? Like we have a prayer call with my family every Sunday. Ghanaian people, we love the church. We love God. We love prayer. And I'm grateful for that too. So like I would say my family, my friends, my loved ones, strangers, people that I've met, people who I've yet to meet, they're all part of my community. And whether they want to be or not, they're in the game with me. I'm in the net. Some people are on the field. Some people are on the sidelines. Some people are in the stadium and some people are on the parking lot. So get in, loser. You're coming on the support bandwagon. We're all together. Cool. Love that. MJ, if you weren't doing what you are doing now, what would you be doing? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, opportunity is plentiful and abundant. I could be doing anything. Like I said, I'd be good at anything. (laughs) No, I mean, what would I be doing if I were to be thinking of like logically what might come up? Well, my mother owns a business, so I might be helping her out with that. Maybe I would be entering new media. I do like media a lot. I do well with people. I think technology is really interesting. And I think technology has this reputation of providing you like a balance of work and life and amenities, especially like the Fang companies. Like maybe not every tech company has all of those amenities, but I would have loved to kind of aim for something like that to have more of a work-life balance or to have support in terms of insurance or I don't know, activities, mental health days. I'm not sure, but I will be honest with you. I don't always dream of working. So what would I be doing if I could support myself and not have a job is very different than if I, what would I be doing if I had to have a job? Mm, Give us a little insight. So if you didn't have to have a job, where would you be? Beach in Zanzibar? What was happening? I didn't have to work to sustain and pay for my life. You know what someone said? And this is like crazy. It's not really true, but it made me laugh. They're like, can you imagine I need to have a job to sustain my life? How embarrassing. And I said, embarrassing? What it is, is like work is so valuable and important. And because I find it to be a way that you can contribute meaningful value to society around you. That's what I care about at work. It's not about work as a paycheck to fund your life. It's about like, can you have work that's meaningful to create value to the world around you and like be impactful? Like that's why I like what we do at Afropods. But if I didn't have work in the traditional sense to fund my life, I think that I would definitely have a part-time job because I think it's very important to like exercise your brain and and to think and to analyze things and solve problems. So I think I would work part-time. I'd probably have some sort of philanthropic arm of some sort of charity. Water charities tend to be my charity of choice. And I think, you know, I would be living life. I'd be traveling. I'd be visiting my friends. I would be having once in a lifetime experiences. I'd be celebrating 
everything. I would be making memories and I would be eating incredible food with amazing company in beautiful locations and laughing and working on my brain and neuroscience and doing Pilates still because I love it. So that's what I'd be doing if I didn't have to have a job. That's what I think I'd be doing. Love that. Love that for you. Hmm. Okay, last question of this section of our conversation. With podcasting growing at such a quick pace, what do you feel the future of podcasting looks like in Kenya and Africa as a whole? Well, for both, I think that we're going to see significant growth. Like I mentioned earlier, I think we're going to have growth of podcaster, growth of podcast listener, growth of advertiser, growth of live events, growth across the board. And I'm really excited about that. I think in Kenya, it's been exciting to see that there's been a couple of significant live events happening. I think we're going to see a lot of young people getting into podcasting. And I kind of teased earlier with this creator economy or the orange economy. It's really interesting because the largest group of Gen Z individuals are on the continent of Africa and never in our lifetime, really, or in any generation, has there been a moment where you can really, really get paid to be who you are, get paid to love what you do, to create your own platform, not just get paid to be who you are on someone else's established business or show, but you can literally create content yourself and via multiple different platforms, become your own celebrity to your own audience in your own right. And I think that that means that with the creator economy, you are putting people in a position to get paid to do what they love. And what an incredible thing to be part of new media in that way. So I think that we're going to see a lot of young people stepping into podcasting in Kenya. There's a very successful podcast of four Gen Z college kids or just graduated college kids here. I think they're going to be inspiring a lot of youth. And I think across the continent in Africa, we are going to see people take podcasting seriously, especially advertisers, because they are confident and comfortable with radio as a medium or have been previously and are looking for the next way to impact their audiences from a way that will move the needle for their clients. Okay. Molly, this next part of our interview is rapid fire questions. You have 30 seconds to answer each and they're they're kind of questions. I hope so. So you are about to enter the dolphin tank. Are you ready? If I say no, will it stop? (laughs) (laughs) More than likely not. So I guess born ready. Let's go. We're diving in head first. Okay. Stay ready so you'll have to get ready. Exactly. Okay, first question. What was the last song you listened to on your playlist? Why? I think it was Sade By Your Side because I heard it recently and it was really nice. How do you measure or make sure that you're growing each year? I put myself in a position to be held accountable by other people and ask them where I've been messing up. What was holding you back from creating your best life? Nothing. I have lived my very best life thus far, to my knowledge. Okay. Top tech that you're using to make your business and life run smoothly? Gmail. Love that. Favorite quote or model that you live by? Hmm. It's not the juice, it's the sauce. <laughs> I really reached for that one, Cap. I really did. Uh, the favorite or most impactful book that you read? Right now, I'm reading Scaling People. It's by the COO of Stripe, and I haven't finished it yet, but I think it might be the most impactful book I've read recently. Three jewels you would tell someone looking to create the life that they've always wanted? Go after it. You only have one life, and love on everyone hard. Mm, what's next for you? Hopefully this Beyonce concert. That's what I think. <laughs> 
And how can we keep in contact with you? Well, you can follow Afropods on all social platforms. It's at Afropods, at A-F-R-I-P-O-D-S. Or if you're really looking to connect with me personally, my social media is at MJ underscore Akosia. So it's MJ underscore A-K-O-S-U-A. But I'm not that active there. So reach out. I'll check it like in a week and I'll get back to you. Or LinkedIn. Oh, gosh. LinkedIn. You'll find me on LinkedIn. So find me, Molly Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N, at LinkedIn, and I will certainly get back to you there. Okay. Love that. Congratulations, Molly Jensen. You have survived the dolphin tank. Thank God. Thank you. I'm sweating over here for those who are not watching the video. I was very nervous. I did not know what was coming. Okay, Molly, we have reached the part of the interview, which is called the turnaround. So you get to ask me any three questions that you want to, and I have to answer totally unscripted. I just have one request. Hmm? Please be gentle. Uh, Okay, we'll do our best. (laughs) You asked me a question that actually really stood out to me and it was hard for me to answer, but it was a question that you had said, what was the most painful experience that you had gone through that kind of shaped the way that you've moved professionally or something like that. What was the biggest personal challenge that I needed to overcome in order to become who I am today? Yes, that question. Oh, hmm, that's a good question. Not you not answering this question before, Kevin. Honestly, I mean, the thing is is that you have so many guests and people have so many different things. So sometimes you're not ready. Let me think about. I know that you're thinking of one now and that's what happened to me. It's that first thing that comes to mind and you really don't want to share it because it's really personal. So maybe you can describe around it so that we don't get too into it. Um, no, I mean, I'm going to be honest with the Create Your Life fam. I think that's one of the biggest things that we've been able to establish is just that connection with talking about growth. It's just, I'm trying to figure out how to put it in words because I think like one of the biggest things, some of it I think was kind of not being ashamed of my upbringing. I think was a big personal challenge. I needed to release that. I think that that was a big challenge that I needed to overcome in order to become who I am today and in order to move forward. And I did a lot of work in that space, in that industry as well. And I think that that actually had kind of held me back for an extended period of time. And so like releasing that and kind of going on to do what I thought, what my real life's work was. And then I think also being okay, not that I wasn't okay with it, but becoming even more comfortable with people essentially not liking you. And I say that from a standpoint of I've always had haters. I remember one time you and I had a conversation, Molly, and I was like, you know, like I've had haters since I was a child, right? But not trying to go the extra mile to like try to get people to like you and stuff like that, but just being like, you know what? Sometimes people's issues have to do with themselves and they don't necessarily have anything to do with you. And then also sometimes people just might not be feeling you. And I think that that's okay because what usually happens for me is people spin the block like, oh, okay, I didn't understand what you were on or what you were saying then, but now I get it. But also being okay with the people who are not rocking like that, who don't come back and say something. And so I think just being solid in yourself. And I think a lot of the people that I look up to are who I admire their work ethic and stuff like that. Like these guys are never the most like guys. They're the guys who are consistent. And then over a period of time, people see their work, they see their commitment. And then they're like, damn, I respect this person. They end up kind of like turning a corner. I just have to realize and be okay with who I am and how I operate while also being open to being wrong and doing things differently and accepting feedback. Like one of my OGs, Raphael Moffat, he always says, correction is direction, feedback is love. And so I take that very personal. Somebody spends the time to tell you what you could be doing better and things like that. I think that that is them expressing love and expressing that they care. And so it's your responsibility and my responsibility. I'm talking about me. It's my responsibility 
ability to take that love and then move differently. Well, you answered all four questions I probably could have come up with, but <laughs> you got two more. Lucky for me, I have another. So something that I'm not sure if your audience knows, but maybe they do, is that you wake up very early, 4 a.m. and you're doing the mamba mentality by yourself. You're doing a million push-ups and the challenges and really pushing yourself not only to be in like physical tip-top shape, but like mental tip-top shape. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason you started doing that and was it tied to an insecurity? So there is a reason why I do it, but it's not tied to an insecurity. So what happened is I used to live in New York and my landlord is actually 40 years older than me. I had a vision board and one day I was like in my early or in my mid twenties and I was upset with myself that I wasn't the things and the people on my vision board. And so I was kind of like in a depressed state. She came and she had a chat with me. She sat me down and she said, look, when you're looking at this vision board, you're looking at the finished product. Nobody talks about the 10 years that people lived in the basement and worked their behind off and did all of the work. And so she gave me a different vantage point on what work ethic means. But then she also gave me a different vantage point on what work ethic looks like on a daily basis. Mind you, this woman is 40 years my senior. She would fall asleep working at like 11 o'clock. And I'm talking about Marie Dutton Brown, who was the godmother of African-American books. She's a living legend. This woman is serious. So when I see strong female leaders like yourself, Molly, women who are in power and who are doing amazing things, it reminds me of her, which is why it's so easy to get on board with it for me. But like I said, she would fall asleep 11, 12, working and reading and doing all of these things. She works in a book publishing industry and she would be up at 5 a.m. And her apartment was above mine. So I could actually hear her on her exercise bike at 5 a.m. Whenever I would get up, I would get up at 7, 8, 10 o'clock some days if I was out hanging out and stuff like that, 12 o'clock. She had been up for hours and hours and hours. And so for me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to get up earlier than her. At first, I just couldn't do it. Then I would work on it. Then I could do it for like a day or two. So like over the course of years, I finally got it. So I actually get up at 420. And that is because I want to beat her up every morning as a tribute to her greatness and her work ethic. So not from a place of insecurity, but more from a place of admiration and for love of the example of what hard work looks like day in and day out is the reason why I get up every morning early and I'm training my mind and training my body because I got to see this elder, this amazing black woman do this consistently, continuously. And her name is Marie Dutton Brown. She showed me what that work ethic looks like. And then watching her, then also, you know, Kobe Bryant, Floyd Mayweather, different athletes and different successful people, you know, reading all of these bios and things like that on successful people. It's like all of these people are waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning and are doing these other things. And so for me, it's a matter of being lock and step with people who are legendary and who are doing great things and having a great impact. So that's what has driven me there to that. I love that. And I think that we're going to have to give you another middle name. So the Kevin Y. Brown. Wow. You could have greatness in the middle too. Something. I'll figure it out. My last question is a little lighter. Okay. If you were to look, maybe it's not lighter. Let's just be honest. Just go. Roll with it, MJ. In, if you were to look back at your life, mm-hmm. at the very end of your life, what do you think would make you feel like it was successful or worth it? Like if you really had to distill, what do you want to get out of this life? At the end of it, what do you think will matter to you the most? What do you think that's going to be? I think I probably need to spend some more time thinking about that. I think off the top of my head, I think it would be to have a happy, healthy family and have children who are self-sustaining by their own merit, as well as some of the hand up that I've been able to give them. But by their own merit, I think that that's a great measure of success. I think for the work that I've done, 
and all of the sacrifices that I've made to account to impact other people and to also leave some things behind for those who've had similar life journeys or who have dared to be different and to do things differently. Whether that's a scholarship or an endowment or something like that, I think that those are the things that would really matter to me, but also to be surrounded by people that I love and that love on me and we can love on each other from a communal standpoint and to have that impact. I've definitely been more intentional about that. Even with my goals group, five of my friends, it was something that I used to do by myself was measuring my goals every quarter. Then, you know, my boy Yoel got involved last quarter and then now it's three of my other guys. And so really being intentional about that community. One of the things in my daily affirmations is I'm surrounded around people who are genuine, true friends, who are happy to be friends and who I can trust and we love each other and we pour into each other at the end of the life. That being able to have those things, I think I would call it a pretty successful journey. And of course, having some fun in between. I don't have much fun. Well, that's a lie. But, you know, just being happy, man. I think at the end, to look back and say, yeah, you know, when I had a great impact, but I was also happy and I was surrounded around people who love me and I love is what it would be. Well, thanks, Kev. I'm going to pass it back to you as the host extraordinaire. Well, thank you. Thank you, MJ. Well, Molly, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I want to say thank you so much for taking the time on this beautiful day. You're always a pleasure to talk to. So thank you for being a guest on the Create Your Life series. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and I cannot wait to engage with your audience more. So thank you for having me. Awesome sauce. So Create Your Life family, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Create Your Life series. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to info at cylseries.com. The Create Your Life series is executive produced by myself, Kevin Y. Brown, and produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company. And this episode has been recorded at Kofisi Studios in Nairobi, Kenya. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.